0: This is The Hidden Wire Podcast, episode 940. I welcome back Massimo Piglucci. We discuss his new book, A Field Guide to a Happy Life. Enjoy. Massimo, welcome back to The Hidden Wire Podcast. It's
1: a pleasure to be here.
0: You're a busy man. You've got another book coming out.
1: <laughs> well, you know, my grandmother used to say that uh, we had time to rest after we're dead. So, yeah.
0: Do you believe that? <laughs>
1: no. That after you're dead, you're just dead. You're but dead. I guess it is a type of rest.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah, perhaps, depending on your beliefs. So you don't believe in uh, in life after death?
1: I, I don't. My grandmother was a you know good Catholic, so she did. <laughs>
0: she did. What, what, what do the Stoics think? Because you're a, you're a Stoic yourself, a professor of Stoicism. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, well, the Stoics were materialists, uh, and they thought that everything in the universe, therefore, is made of stuff including what they call the soul and they thought that the soul dies with us uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in that sense they were very different from let's say plato uh who thought that uh, the, the soul keeps keeps going just like um later on christians of course assumed so uh yeah the stoics were kind of unusual from that perspective both the stoics and the epicureans were kind of you know they were materialists they, they didn't believe in in uh, anything after death they, the seneca one of the uh, major stoic philosophers was pretty clear about it in his in his books he said uh, you know you, you, you shouldn't fear death because there isn't going to be a you there to experience it
0: right no and that sort of makes sense but what <laughs> about the uh, this the spiritual you know side of things I mean is there's there no spirituality in, in stoicism
1: not, not in the sense of any kind of survival after death I mean it depends on how you you define spirituality. Uh, mm. One of my books has is a book on exor- of exercises uh, of um, stories you know, stoic practice and the subtitle does have something to you know mention something about uh, spiritual exercises so it depends on what you mean If by spiritual you mean good for the spirit as in good for the human mind for human psychology for you know how do we think about things then yes but if you mean something transcendental, supernatural or anything like that, then the answer is no.
0: Gotcha. Right. What a, what about the um, the idea of the soul and, and our consciousness and the idea that uh, consciousness might be a universal thing that we can't yet really <laughs> tap into?
1: Yeah, that's that's known as, as panpsychism in modern philosophy and I think it's a crazy idea, uh, quite frankly. Uh, it made some sense, maybe a couple of millennia ago. The Stoics, uh, the early Stoics, were not exactly panpsychists, but close to it, because they, they were actually what we call today pantheists. They thought that God, what they what they called God, was the same thing as nature. So God is immanent in nature. In fact, God is nature itself. Right. And they also thought of nature as a living organism endowed with logos, and logos was the ability to reason. So, if you understand the universe itself as a organism and that with reason, then sure, in a sense, in a sense, consciousness is everywhere, right? Um, but but we don't think we don't have any empirical evidence that that is the case. All, all we know about the universe is that it is a set of processes that uh, uh, you know connected by cause and effect, and that uh, appear to obey to certain invariant. Um, Ways of, of working out, which we call the laws of nature. Hmm. So, uh, you know, I know a lot of philosophers have been engaged in discussions, and a couple of modern philosophers who think that panpsychism is the best idea since slide, sliced bread. What do you call um, that?
0: Panpsychism.
1: Panpsychism, yeah, which literally means the the consciousness everywhere, and uh, I, panpsychism. You know, it's yeah, it certainly is a logical possibility. I mean, it's, there's nothing incoherent about it. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I just don't think that we should take seriously any idea that is not backed up by a minimum of empirical evidence. And there is no empirical evidence of consciousness being an elemental uh, property of the universe. In fact, quite the opposite. A colleague of mine, uh, Sabine Ossenfelder, who is a theoretical physicist, has argued that um, if panpsychism is true, then th- we, we should actually be able to see, uh, you know, different different properties in different uh, Ways of behavior behavior in elementary particles, and we don't. Hmm. And now, when when I brought that up to a colleague of mine who is a panpsychist, he said, "Well, but that's because uh, what we mean by consciousness is something that doesn't have actually any physical effect." I said, "Well, if it doesn't have any physical effect, how the hell do you know that it's there?" Yes, it's just like you just at that point, you're just making up stuff as you go.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. True, true. Um, the the idea of of Death. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit from a Stoic perspective? How we should uh, approach death in everyday life, and this may form part of your book too. A happy life.
1: Yes. Uh, so th- the Stoics, in that in that regard, uh, really agreed completely, pretty much completely, with the Epicureans, which normally were their their great rivals. Right. Uh, both both uh, Epicurus and Seneca uh, clearly say that you know death is a natural process. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's inevitable. It's, it's just going to happen and uh we shouldn't fear it as i said because once we we get there you know once the death comes we are no longer and and vice versa whatever we are uh death is not as uh, this as epicurus says so there's nothing to fear in terms of the afterlife of course you might be reasonably worried about the process of dying right because that can be painful uh, that can be unpleasant but but once it's over once, once you're dead that that's it there's nothing to worry about so the stoics took that mm. as a major reason to embrace life precisely because death is inevit- inevitable and because we don't know when it's going to happen mm. right we have we well, some kind of statistical expectations like for instance i just just for curiosity i actually looked it up the other day because <laughs> i i wrote a short essay on on death um, for my for my uh, patreon site and um, so I looked it up. I said, uh, "It turns out, you know, I'm 56 right now. Turns yeah. out that um, in the state of New York, if you, you the the average lifespan for a white man is about 79. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have about 23 more years to go. Yeah. But that, of course, is just statistically speaking. I could beat the statistics by a long shot. I could I could you know live an extra decade or even two, possibly." Uh, or I could die today I, you know my my hung up with you after the other at the end of this recording across the street some crazy guy uh, hits me with the car and that's it that's the end of the story so we really don't know even though we have we think we know we think we have some expectations at least we really don't hmm. those expectations are only statistical we have no idea so Seneca said therefore you should live your life with urgency almost as if every day were the last day and then the the following morning if you get up and you're still alive you say oh great i got another one to to go by you know another day to to play with now he didn't mean literally as if it were the last day because for instance today i did a number of things like checking social media and email that i probably wouldn't do if i knew that this was my last day Hmm. i wouldn't waste it on social media or checking email but what he meant was as if it were the last day, meaning as if you don't, if you didn't know when it was going to happen, which you don't, hmm. and therefore minimize the kinds of things that are not inter- interesting to you, that are not important to you, they're not meaningful to you, and focus instead on the stuff that is important and meaningful. So yeah. sure. You might have to do some email because, you know, the, the, that, that comes with life. You, if you're Part of your vocation or whatever. Or hmm. right. Yeah, exactly. But minimize that as, as much as possible and instead spend time doing things that you actually think are meaningful.
0: Yeah. When we look at death, I mean, I don't really, to be honest, think about it too much. Um, and perhaps unconsciously, maybe I do. And perhaps <laughs> that forces me to live in a very anxious state of being. Um, trying to fulfill as much as I can in life because I don't necessarily know when death is, but I don't actually consciously think about death consistently. Do you think, because I don't, you know, I think, you know, when we die, yeah, we're not there. Um, the process, hopefully, um, will be short and not so painful. Um, right. But the whole life, you know, um, not yeah. wanting to, I want to live, I would love to live forever. That's this my sort of thoughts. And I know some people say, oh, that's crazy. I wouldn't. And other people do. They, they would like to do that as well.
1: Yeah, so that, that's interesting. Uh, first of all, let me go back to your first point, which was, you know, uh, should we think about it or should we not? Uh, so I, before I embraced Stoicism, I, I was trying really hard not to think about it. Hmm. And, of course, as a result, I was actually, in fact, anxious about it and my thoughts get going there a bit. Hmm. Um, as part of my Stoic practice, on the other hand, I actually think about it on a regular basis. In fact, there is a Stoic meditation that is called the Meditation on Death. And there are different ways of doing it. My preferred way of doing it is to take a walk to a cemetery, into a cemetery and just take some time to carefully look at names and dates of people that, that are buried there. Now, why would you want to do that? Is like, is that on a down, downer? No, in, in, for me at least, it really picks me up. It's like, oh, OK, great. So now I know this. Now that I can put it aside. I'm reminding myself of this thing. I, I put it aside now. So what can I do with the rest of my day? which is actually fulfilling and, and interesting mm. or enjoyable. How,
0: how do you do, How often do you do this, go to the graveyard?
1: Um, whenever I feel the need for it, last, last time that I did it was a few weeks ago, uh, with my wife, we were on a very short vacation because as you know, during the middle of pandemic, it's hard to go anywhere. but we, we took a few days to go into upstate New York on the Hudson Valley. And uh, the hotel that we were staying at just happened to have a, a cemetery right in front of it. Hmm. It was a charming, ancient, you know, old cemetery, and uh, we went there and did the the meditation. Um, so whenever I, I feel like okay, I need a, uh, a reset uh, in that for, in that respect. As far as the, your second point, that is living together. Yeah, I know we all think that, but I, I'm not I'm not really that sure. Of course, if you ask me. You know well would you wouldn't you like to have another five years or, or ten years or you know even 50 years I would I would say yeah absolutely of course mm. now living together uh, I'm sorry living living forever aware no, yeah. it's a yeah it's a different it's a really different issue right mm. we, we don't really know what that means I mean infinity is something that the human mind simply cannot grasp mm. and um, a number of philosophers actually and actually science fiction writers have argued that the human psychology is simply not uh, set for that kind of thing no. that we would go crazy that that we would commit suicide or go crazy or or do you know incredibly idiotic things or whatever it is but of course that's that's not even a question because we don't really have that option so mm. you know it's fun to talk about it but but i rather focus my uh, efforts uh, on living the best life that i can which includes taking care of course of both my mind and my body right so that yeah. i will last as much as, as possible, but yeah. last in a good way. I mean, Seneca there also is very interesting. He says, look, I am in no, in no hurry to quit, uh, you know, life, but but should I realize that, I get, that I'm getting to the end and my, my faculties, especially my mental faculties, are going and I'm going to become some, you know, vegetable that doesn't have any idea what's going on. He said, well, before I get to that point, it's going to be time to quit. Um, and hmm. and I think about I think in, in, along the same lines.
0: Okay, so did Stoics believe in in um, in ending it sooner? I'm sorry, in what? Ending it sooner.
1: Yes, that's right. I mean, so that assumes, of course, that that you have the option to do that. That you realize, you know, in time that uh, what's coming and so on and so forth. But, I mean, we have we're having these conversations in society today, right? Where there's a lot of talk about. Um, um, you know, assisted uh, suicide, physician assisted suicide, for instance, mm. uh, under certain conditions, right? If he, if you are terminally ill patient, you're, you know, just suffering and in pain and all that sort of stuff, there's really no point, um, in keeping going, why, why would you, it's a question at that point becomes a question of dignity. Why would you hang on until the very last second and, you know, be in pain and not being able to do anything, uh, just for, for saying, For the sake of saying, oh, yeah, I survived another day. It's like, well, so what?
0: In what capacity? Yeah,
1: Yeah, exactly. What does that do?
0: Yeah, I agree. Your book, um, A Field Guide to a Happy Life, 53 Brief Lessons for Living. I think everyone wants to live a happy life. Does it start with thinking about death more and then sort of trying to live with a bit more purpose in each day?
1: No, the, the the book starts with a very different concept, uh, something right. that in Stoicism is, is called the dichotomy of control. Sometimes, uh-huh. and um, you know what it is. It's uh, it's a it's a concept that it's probably familiar to a lot of people in a different guise. Um, a lot of people have heard of the uh, the Serenity Prayer, which is the, a modern you know twenty. 20th-century Christian prayer was written by an American theologian. And it goes something along the lines of asking God to be able to have the the wisdom to tell the difference between what you can do and what you cannot do, Uh, the courage to do what you can, and the serenity to accept what you cannot change, right? right. Um, That sentiment is found also in other traditions. It's found in medieval Judaism. It's found in 8th-century Buddhism. And the earliest version that I know of, at least, it's it's in Epictetus, uh, a second-century Stoic philosopher. I'm sure it was even earlier than that. But um, So the the basic notion is that certain things are under our control and other things are not under our control, Mm -hmm. Um, and that we should focus on the first and develop an attitude of equanimity and acceptance for the second ones. So in practice... Um, I, what I suggest in, in the field guide is that the, the just like Epictetus was saying 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years ago, uh, there is only a very small number of things that are really truly up to us. And these are essentially our endorsed opinions, you know, consciously endorsed opinions, our judgments, which are a kind of opinion, and then our decisions to act or not to act. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. Everything else is not up to us. We can influence it, of course but we don't determine it so for instance you know since we're in the middle of a pandemic let's talk about the the COVID thing um so that's health right we tend to think that health is pretty much under our control we tend to think that hey you know i can make decisions about what to eat and you know follow a, a healthy diet i can decide to go to the gym on a regular basis you know maintain my aerobic capacity and my muscle tone i can go to the doctor on a regular basis uh, and, you know, practice preventive medicine. And that's all true. Of course, we, we not only we can, but we should do that. Mm-hmm. However, the outcome is not guaranteed. Even if you do all of that, as I said, an accident, like, uh, you know, somebody with a car or a virus, it doesn't matter how many times you, you know, wash your hands, wear your mask, and keep social distance, you should do all of those things. But that is not a 100% guaranteed. You could still get it. Yeah. So the point is that the you cannot count on, an, on on a given outcome. We we do have a tendency to focus on outcomes. We want certain things. You know, mm-hmm. I want to be healthy. I want to do this or that or the other. Um, but in fact, that's in a sense focusing on the wrong thing because the outcomes are not a, up to us. What should we focus on then? Well, our intentions and our efforts because those are up, up to us. Yeah, it is yeah. true that other people can influence my opinions. Let's say right, um, but. But that influence stops with me. The 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 buck stops with me. If I say to you, "Hey, I think racism is the greatest idea since sliced bread," you are you're going to be appalled and you're uh, you know are going to hold me responsible for it. If I say, "Well, but I heard it somewhere else," you're going to say, "So what? <laughs> you, mm. you made it your your uh, judgment, your opinion. So I'm I'm going to be focusing on you, not on the fact that somebody else has said it." Um, so this is a the of control is a it's a really crucial aspect of stoic philosophy because it really applies to everything in life there's there's really nothing in life that does not fall into the into that uh, uh, dual category either under your control or or not completely under your control
0: do you think a lot of what causes us angst or uh, unhappiness is is about giving up that control or, or better understanding what we do control and what we don't
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, we tend, as I said before, we, we tend to be focused on outcomes and therefore make ourselves miserable. Right? I mean, not just in terms of health, but let's say uh, you have a, a job interview tomorrow. You yeah. naturally you know, worry about the outcome of the job interview. That's not what you should be worried about because that's not up to you. What you should be worried about is, are you prepared for the interview? It's hard, isn't best? it? Like, yeah. You know? to, yeah and, and every
0: part of our life where we're thinking about yeah. the outcome.
1: Yeah, rather than you know, you know, the process, I suppose. Hmm. You know, oh, I want to be loved, my wife or my husband or my partner to love me. Well, Yeah, but that's up to them. Of course you want it, but it's up to them. What is up to you is how you behave toward them. Hmm. Hmm. You know, and, and that's what you should be focusing on. And of course, as we all know, there is a pretty tight connection, of course, causal connection between intentions, efforts on the one hand, and outcomes on the other hand. Sure, it you, know, you cannot be guaranteed that your that your partner loves you. You cannot be guaranteed to get your job. You cannot be guaranteed to be healthy. But what? guess what? If you make your best effort in all those directions, the chances are that you're actually going to uh, succeed in what you're trying to do.
0: So act and behave with, even think with better intentions are going to increase your odds of positive outcomes in life.
1: That's right. Exactly. Hmm.
0: How do you... Like, how do we practice that? Because, yeah, I, I totally get it. And uh, I can I can relate to a few examples in my head right now that are, you know, where I was focused on the outcome and it just caused me so much anxiety and, and stress and, uh, yeah. and it actually made me worse in, in my probably intentions.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, there's one way to practice, which is one that I uh, recommend uh, because mm. it, it, it seems to work very, very nicely. There is actually modern empirical evidence from, from, um, you know, psychological research that it works is to keep a diary and, um, okay. uh, from time to time on a regular basis, uh, just write down, you know, think about one thing that you either are about to do, like for instance, a job interview, or you just done recently, mm-hmm. for instance, again, a job interview yeah. and, and then write down, you know, divide the page into two columns and on the left side, write the kinds of things that were up to you in this in this case. And then write on the other, in the, in the right column, write the kind of things that are not up to you. So just just come up with as many as possible, right? And especially if you do it in a preparatory fashion, so before the actual uh, event is, is actually about to happen. Yeah. What that does is it focuses your attention. It makes it clear because you're, you're writing it black and white. And then you should go back to that list over and over until uh, the event is actually happened. So until the job interview. Let's say that you have a job interview in a week. You can start a week earlier and start writing this thing. And then every night, go back to it and say, okay, let me double check this list. Oh, that's right. This is up to me. This is not up to me. And then ask yourself, so what did I do today? Did I actually focus on the things that are up to me? And if you did, great. If you didn't, then then tell yourself that tomorrow morning you're going to start with the same list, and you're going to start by focusing your attention uh, on the things that are up to you. It's an exercise essentially in refocusing your thoughts. We don't, we do not, uh, you know, we do not control our autonomic thoughts. There are some a lot of thoughts no. that come to our mind, and and there's no, there's nothing you can do about it, right? Part, part of me if thinks if I look know. back at
0: something that I've just done, like yesterday yeah. or last week. And think yeah. on it might, might upset me more because maybe I'll go, oh, I didn't do that quite well or, or that outcome didn't happen and, and then Correct. start uh, you know, being a little bit unhealthy towards the self-care.
1: Yeah, and we, we argue our own case about things that happened in the past over and over in our mind. Now, we revisit the thing, oh, I should have done this. That's not particularly useful. It just increases mm. your frustration, your anxiety. Yeah. Now, as I said, however, you cannot actually will these things away. Um, sometimes the thought comes to your mind. Now, what do you do in that case? You, you, you. Uh, modern Stoics take a uh, page uh, out of Buddhist meditation, and what Buddhists do is to uh, relax, you know, in a, do do some kind of deep breathing or something like that, and then mentally, visually, if you can, just nudge that thought away. So one one way you can do it, which actually mm. works very well for me is when i when i tend to get anxious about things and i or i see that i go over certain things over and over that i shouldn't because it's a waste of time then i sit down i deep you know i breathe a little bit de- deeply for a few for a few seconds and then i imagine uh, being in, near a you know little river or little little thing of water mm-hmm. picking up the thought literally picking it up i I visualized this thing and then i put it on a leaf i put the leaf on the water and i watch the water carrying the leaf away and if you do this over and over it actually becomes remarkably effective after a while your thoughts just you're able to let go of those thoughts you're not again you're not able to prevent the thoughts the thoughts will come to you yeah but you're able to let them go reduce the attachment to right exactly in fact now it, it works so well with me that instead of doing i don't have to do the whole exercise all i have to do all i do is i um physically uh make the the, the gesture of uh, swiping left you know like these apps for yeah yeah, yeah 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 if You swipe left you know if you, if you swipe left that you don't you're not interested yeah i do that I said. but so you don't I do that, that again sometimes. and
0: again for the same thought that's bothering you, no, you it's a practice no. that you do for the thought of the moment yeah. that's bothering you
1: Correct, exactly. If there is a thought of the moment that bothers me or I got you know, uh, something that it's, I don't really want in my mind, I just at this point I just swipe it. And mm. th- to do it, with, for me at least, do the, do, doing the actual hand gesture instead of just imagining it uh, helps. helps. And that. it's amazing. After, after a while you do these kind of things, then it's like, oh, okay, that's gone. So now let me... Now, of course, you do need to, at the same time, replace that thought with something else. So, as I said, you cannot suppress thoughts but you can't redirect your attention and you know if i if none of the, what i said works because it's something that really bothers me then i try to get engaged into something else hmm. i try to read often for me for me reading works yeah. you know, if i start focusing on reading especially if i read something that requires uh, taking notes or things like that because that then, then it Keep gets the me mind into... busy. exactly or and that that for me is the the the, the last uh, sort of uh, step uh, uh, in 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 a, in a process. If it really doesn't go away, then I gonna Then, then I start writing. Yeah. Uh, writing for me is a very, um, you know, I wouldn't say relaxing. I suppose. I suppose, but it's a it's a way to focus on things that I really want to focus. On. Uh, and and so it's a it's a therapeutic. Uh, writing yeah. for me is a therapeutic.
0: So that's writing oh, a, can- an article or something that you've researched recently, or just journaling as well. Going back to that, and you said before.
1: Yeah, I mean, if there is, there is usually usually have a number of projects going on, so there's always something that I need to get back to, right? Hmm. And uh, but sometimes I just write. I sometimes I even write about the thought itself, and then it turns into an essay, right? That I published (laughs) on my blog or something like that. Now, if all that fails, you know, presumably there is also going and have a drink with a a friend, uh, which also takes your mind off of things. Of course, the problem with a pandemic is that this is going to be hard to do. Um, so yeah, I actually do
0: technology. Don't yeah, we?
1: Exactly. We have technology. So I do a, a lot of, uh, with my friends, I do a lot of what I call the virtual aperitivos, so, you know, aperitivo is the Italian word for happy hour. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, it helps. It really does.
0: I like it. I like the thoughts and I certainly can see how that would benefit one to let go of the things that we can't control, uh, and a practice that would, that takes time, I suppose. Do you find an individual is, is better equipped to to deal with this than other individuals, or we can all sort of tap into this practice?
1: Um, that's a good question. Uh, I think yes, there are people from whom this kind of practice comes more natural, uh, or there are people that respond better than others. I mean, this is you know, human psychology; it's not um, uh, yeah. it's not fundamental physics, so it's not a law of nature, right? Yeah. Um, but I do think that everybody can benefit. Uh, from it if they you know try and 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 stick with it just like everybody can benefit from you know going to the gym that doesn't mean that we're all going to become olympic athletes right you know only only some people get to the level of really being you know exceedingly good good athletes but everybody's uh, health improves by going to the gym or or think if you if you want another analogy, think yeah, it's a of good Musical yeah. instrument, yeah, yeah, or, or 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 even musical instrument, yeah. Like hmm. everybody can actually learn a musical instrument, the base, the the, the the very basics, and you know play a little tune. Does that mean that we're all going to go to Carnegie Hall? Hell no.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> right. yeah. Um, but it's still useful.
0: Yeah, I like that. With with you've got 53 brief lessons uh, in in this book. Uh, each of those lessons revolved around that dichotomy of control.
1: Uh, no, each each lesson uh, revolves about around different things. Um, so, Are for I... instance, um, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So each the dichotomy of control is just the, is just only the first one. Okay. Um, uh, let me pick for instance something else at random. I have my I have the book right here, um, and I should be able to do that.
0: These all Stoic principles, then, from
1: yeah. So these are all principles. So the, the idea of the book, I I picked one uh, now, but um, and I'll talk about it in a second. But the basic idea of the book is this: this is a complete rewrite of a classic textbook uh, in um, in Stoicism. This is the the original title was the Enchiridion uh, by uh, Epictetus. It actually mm-hmm. was not by Epictetus; it was by by one of Epictetus' students, Arrian yep. of Media. and um, I kind of summarizes epithelius teachings and it is divided into 53 sections uh, that, that are very short some of them are incredibly short in fact hmm. um, just you know a paragraph or two and um and then what i did however was like okay this is an incredible text. It has been very uh, influential not only in antiquity but throughout the middle ages it was used uh, by christian monks as a a, a manual for spiritual exercises it was influential in early modern times, uh, like uh, Adam Smith, Benjamin Franklin, uh, uh, George Washington, and Thomas Jefferson. All had their personal copies of the mm. Encaridium. Yeah. However, now that we got to the 20th century and then in the 21st century, you know, the, some of the language is obviously out of out of fashion, but more importantly, some of the concepts need update, because Epictetus, of course understandably, was operating under certain assumptions about the world that were common 2,000 years ago. For instance, one that I mentioned earlier, that uh, the universe itself is actually a living organism. Well, we don't, we don't function under those assumptions anymore. So, so some of this stuff needs to be changed. And so the, the idea of the book is to maintain the same spirit, if you will, of Epictetus, the same fundamental concepts, but really re- re- rewrite them and update them to the 21st century. Gotcha. So for instance, yeah. thought, thought number 27 or section 27, uh, it's very, very short. It's just you know three sentences. Uh, it says, nothing in the world is evil, or for that matter, good. The world just is. It is up to us to decide what to do with whatever comes our way. So what does that mean? This is something that, that a lot of people have a hard time actually wrapping their minds around. What do you mean? Some nothing is evil. You mean that you know typically people immediately go to na- to to the Nazi and Hitler. You, you mean that that Hitler was not evil? Mm. Uh, what do you mean? Nothing is good. You know there's plenty of things that are good. Well, the thing is, good and evil are actually labels. Their judgments, right? Mm. And so they're labels that we apply to people or to events. People and events don't come pre-labeled that way. People and events just are. They they are in a certain way. It's not like the, the, the labels good and evil are out there in nature. We impose those labels on them, uh, on things. Now, sometimes that, that uh, labeling makes perfect sense, right? Mm-hmm. But the point is that we should be always aware of the fact that it is our own judgment. And our judgment could be incorrect or it could be not useful, so, for instance, if I, if somebody, you know, perpetrates a, you know, a crime and you know, horrible crime or something mm-hmm. like that, um, that's clearly not a positive thing. This is nobody, nobody in his right mind would say, "Oh yeah, that's great." Yeah. Um, but at the same time, what works? That, what work does it do if I label the word, the the person evil? Let's take again the example of Hitler, right? Yeah. How does it help if I say, "Oh yeah, that was evil"? Um, you know, he's an evil person. It's just a label that I put on there to make myself feel better to make or to make sense of, of, of Something well, this is actually this is enough.
0: sort of categorizing our identities. Do you think?
1: Yeah Yes, it's a categorizing of other people usually uh, Right and in a way that makes us feel better. It's like, oh, well, I know it's evil So, I, you know, it's like well, yeah, but what did you do? What you really want to do is two things uh, first of all to if, if it's possible to prevent that sort of things to ha- from happening of course we cannot go back in time and prevent hitler uh, from doing what he did but we can presumably uh, work toward preventing similar things in the present people tend to forget that you know stuff that is highly unjust or or, or questionable is, is happening right now in this country so instead of focusing on Hitler and what he did, why don't we focus on what's going on right here and what little we can do perhaps to stop it or revert it. So the focus shifts from the label to the action. You say, mm. huh, Okay, this is this is not not the right way to you know to to think about it so because instead of just thinking or labeling, I need to act. The other thing is
0: do we, we act on everything but because if we look at you know, something that might upset someone, or, you know, a war going on in a different country. And, right. you know, people watch the news and go, oh, that's just terrible what's going on. But then they sit back yeah. and really, I guess, with what's in their power, right. what's in their control, they don't do anything about it. But they also yeah, get so-, so drowned in, 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 in this, this evilness that actually upsets them and, and consumes them and makes them quite negative. And, and, yeah.
1: Exactly. So I actually counterintuitively canceled to, to go on a meat diet. Don't watch the news in, in you know uh, uh, obsessively. Don't read obsessively yeah. newspapers. Yes, we should all be broadly informed about what's going on in the world. I'm not suggesting that we should shut down everything. No. But you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? If something is not actionable, right? If, if it is a war on the other side of the world, well, think about it in these terms. What can I do here? It's possible that you can still do something. Because, for instance, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, let me let me give you a specific example. Let's say the the war in in Syria, which people now have kind of forgotten about, but it's still going on. And can I do something about it? Yes, because as it turns out, I know of at least a couple of organizations like the International Rescue Committee and and Doctors Without Borders that are actually active in the field in Syria. And since I have, uh, you know, some expendable income. I can actually send them contributions on a more or less regular basis, so that they're going to do something. That actually is actionable. That's doing something. Yeah, I'm not the one going to Syria, you know. I'm not the one that actually is going to stop the war. Obviously, no. But I can't but you do can. you can. You can still
0: do something. But I mean, yeah. there's there's going to be a lot of things that that we label that upset us that we do nothing about, and probably even though we could do something small about it, we still do nothing about it. Is it therefore right. worth not even? Labeling it, considering it.
1: I think, I think so. I think that if there is something, if something is really completely non-actionable, then you know what? Focus on the stuff that you can actually do. Like I have a, a friend of mine who is also a Stoic practitioner who very rarely pays attention to you know sort of national elections. Hmm. Again, not in the sense that he doesn't know what's going on. Yes, at some level he knows what's going on, but he doesn't obsessively watch a CNN or. Fox or MSNBC or all these things about it. Why not? Well, because the only thing you can do about it is pretty much to vote, you know, when it comes down to that and, you know, perhaps send some money to to a politician once in a while. What does he do, however? He doesn't want to give up political involvement. And so he says, well, it turns out that I have a lot more um, leverage at the local level. So he's starting to get to know his local representatives. Uh, and you know, at the, bo- both at the state and even lower lower levels, and he's actually been able to push at least one of these people to enact legislation, specific legislation. Because once you go to the local level, you know politicians are actually starting to pay attention to you because your vote or your contribution actually matters disproportionately. No. At a national level, it doesn't. If I send. 50 more bucks or 100 more bucks to this or that national candidate, that's a drop in the bucket. It's not going to make, they're not going to listen to me. I'm not gonna, that's not going to gain me access and say, oh yeah, by the way, you should do this or that or the other. But at a local level, it does, mm. especially if, if you're persistent, if you call them on a regular basis, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that's a very good example of, you know, just drag yourself away from the obsession that we all have with, you know, the big picture and the big news. And focus on stuff that you can actually do at the local level. Because, you know, after all, as we all know, politics, all politics is is in fact local. Eventually, the national politicians do come out of the local ones. And so you are having long-term effects because some of your local politicians will eventually make it to the national stage. And if you had a a chance to actually seriously engage with them, that's going to make much more of a difference than if you just watch the news in you know, a mm. passive manner.
0: It's interesting. I actually spoke to someone yesterday about just a newspaper and um, how we sort of commented about most newspapers went you know, national and it was just irrelevant. And and the thought was, yeah, right. we need something that is local and people like to hear local things in local news and uh, because it, I guess, gives them a sense of, hey, we can actually do something when it's local.
1: Exactly. And this is counterintuitive. I mean, this, this comes from somebody uh, in my case who was really a, a news junkie. I mean, there was a period of my life where I was constantly, you know, reading the New York Times and watching you know, you know, watching CNN and, and listening to NPR, you know, all, the, all that sort of stuff. And now it's like, what the hell? What a waste of time. All of that was simply making me depressed and angry or, or and, and I couldn't do much about it anyway.
0: Yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, You'd yeah, think nothing is neither good or evil it just is. Yeah. Um, I sort of want to go, go into that a little bit more. Um, because often that, that really influences, uh, our identity, the tribes that we hang out, and this whole idea of us versus them mentality. Yeah. And I think that's getting worse in society as well. Would you yes. sort of agree?
1: Yes. I, I, I completely agree. And in fact, I think one major, uh, reason this is getting worse, the situation is getting, and people are getting more polarized in terms of their social and political positions, is precisely because both sides um, do have this tendency to regard the other one, the other side, not just as an interlocutor, as somebody to have a, you know, disagreement with, but as evil, ignorant, stupid, or, you know, all those kind of things. Uh, As it turns out, a lot of, most, many people are not evil, stupid, or ignorant. Yes, course there's some stupidity there's some ignorance we and we all make mistakes we're all limited in our things but Hmm. it just doesn't help to think of people that way um so the one of the things that i like a lot about the stoic uh take on things is that they they stay away from labels of evil and good even you know not just evil but also good and they just train themselves to say okay things are what they are now there are some things that i think my judgment tells me should I should work toward changing, and other things that my judgment tells me are fine the way they are. And that's the way I want to I want to look at the world. There is an interesting analogy that Epictetus makes there. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful story. Uh, it's about um, a thief that, that uh, stole his lamp, his night lamp. Right. So he, he w- wakes up in the, in the middle of the night at some point. He hears a sound in another, another room. And he goes to the window, and turns out he had this beautiful lamp made of metal, and um, and it was gone. Hmm. So the, somebody stole it. And so then he, ref, he reflects on it. And he's like, so should I say that the the, the the thief was evil and, you know, that sort of stuff? It's like, well, that's not very helpful. What it is is, first of all, the thief was misguided. Because he thought that losing his integrity, you know, becoming a thief in order to gain a lamp was actually a good bargain. It wasn't. he he now has undermined his own character he's now become an untrustworthy person even probably with his friends and his loved ones so his life is going to be miserable from that perspective so it's it's his loss I just lost the lamp that I can replace with a cheaper one tomorrow morning and it's not a big deal but he lost something much more precious he's lost he lost his integrity that's Hmm. the that's one way to think about it Um, the other one is like well so if you start thinking about people who do bad stuff as misguided, as opposed to evil, what happens is that you start thinking of them as kind of analogous to somebody who is sick. And in fact, Epictetus uh, draws these analogy: says, "Look, imagine that you have a, a blind man who goes around and he, you know, he, he stumbles on people, and some people get hurt because he doesn't he, he doesn't see where he's going. What are you going to do? You're going to kill him? You're going to you're going to put him in jail? No." Which you're going to do two things. You recognize that this is happening because the guy is sick. He literally cannot see mm. where he's going. So what you're going to do is two things. First of all, make sure that he doesn't hurt other people, and second, if possible, make sure that it doesn't hurt himself. Mm-hmm. And then you see, you, you f- try to figure out if there, if there is a way uh, for him to to learn to navigate the world in a better in a better fashion, right? Uh, maybe he cannot gain his his sight back, but maybe there's something else you can teach him to to not break havoc. And so Epictetus says this is the same thing with people that we label evil. They're not evil. They're misguided. They have opinions which they, you know, picked somewhere. They grew up with maybe in an environment where those kind of opinions were fostered or something happened in their lives that fostered on them this opinion that, oh, stealing is a good thing. Uh, it's good because I'm you know I'm better than other people I can take advantage of the people they are misguided they're mistaken about it and so yeah. what we should do is the same thing we should treat them as sick people make sure that they don't hurt others make sure that they don't hurt themselves and then try to see if we can gain them back bring them back to uh, society so regain them as as uh, you know, members, active members of, the, of our society. Our entire justice system in the United States is obviously a retributive system. It's based on vengeance, essentially. It's punishment yeah. and mm. vengeance. But it's not the only possible system. And a lot of several Scandinavian countries, for instance, have a system of justice that is not retributive, where, where, where things are geared toward actually trying to recover as much as possible the, uh, you know, inmates to a normal social life. And guess what? The statistics are pretty clear. The American system is failing abysmally. Uh, the, the number of, the, the frequency in which people then go out and get out of jail and do again the same kind of things is very high. Well, on the other hand, the Scandinavian system works pretty well. Does it work 100%? Of course not. Hmm. Because again, we're talking about social, you know, human beings in, in, in psychology. But it has a much higher uh, percentage of success than the, the extreme, extremely harsh, uh, retributive system that we use. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The, um, yeah, I mean, I, I like that idea of, of becoming the teacher when we perhaps disagree or, or label something, um, you know, to, to what we believe in, I suppose is go out there and to educate, but it's, it's just much easier to just to put ourselves in a category and say, this is my team and, and I'm going to just sit on this team without actually understanding first.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the 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 thing is, we're f- f- much faster, you know, at judging, and then at sort of pausing and say, okay, what's going on here? And it turns out that it always pays to sort of stop and think about things, and, and say, wait a minute, let me understand what's going. On. Why why is this guy doing this thing? There are there might he thinks that, you know, nobody wakes up in the morning, goes to the in front of the mirror, and does the, this this cartoon villain thing, like, oh, ha, ha, what can I, what, what can I do today? Yeah. Nobody does that, right? Nobody. Probably, in fact, not even Hitler. I'm pretty sure that Hitler thought that what he was doing was right. Yeah. Of course, it was horribly mistaken. But that isn't the point. The point is, he, he thought it was right. And yeah. and who knows where that came from, right? I mean, he was living, in fact, actually, we do have some ideas where that came from. Um, part of it, of course, was his own psychology. You know, he grew up, uh, as, as you might know, he grew up as a uh, frustrated artist and, you know, he couldn't get anywhere. You know, maybe if somebody had actually believed in him as an artist, all of that shit wouldn't have happened. Um, but regardless of his psychological makeup, there is also, there were also social forces. I mean, Hitler was growing up, uh, you know, was, was young uh, during World War I. And after World War One, the Allied forces made this horrible mistake of, of punishing, again, pu- well, going back to punishment, punishing Germany severely to the point of, in which they crippled the, the very young democracy that was the Weimar Republic. And, and they caused chaos yeah. as a result. They caused huge amounts of unemployment. Of course, it didn't help that this was also the same time uh, of the uh, famous Wall Street crash of 1929. So there were all sorts of things that obviously, that surely convinced people, not just Hitler, but millions of Germans that, hey, the rest of the world is screwing with us. We're going to do something about it. Now, does that justify what they did? Absolutely not. But if you don't understand why they did it and you just label them evil, that's not gonna get you anywhere. Yeah. It does. It's gonna happen again, you know, somewhere else in the world, perhaps now it's gonna happen it's gonna happen again because people refuse to pay attention to why, to the motivations, to why things happen.
0: Well, the whole idea of understanding, I think, with, with without trying to understand, we we probably cause ourselves more upsets in life and, and obviously as to the title of your book yeah. is not going to help yeah. us live a happy life, is it?
1: No, absolutely not. <laughs> so, um,
0: it sounds like a fantastic book and uh, certainly looking forward to reading it myself. Um, is there any final thoughts you want to touch on before we, we part?
1: Well, I think that one final thought that we, we haven't talked about the fact that uh, there's an obvious um, issue with the with the book title, right? I talk about how to live a happy life, but what is what is a happy life? You know what? What do we mean by happiness? We're defining happiness, hmm. right? And and it's uh, it's actually very difficult, right? There is a lot of literature on happiness, both in philosophy and in psychology, hmm. and I actually go into a little bit of that in the book. In the, the the initial part of the book, it's kind of an introduction to the whole concept of what does it mean to live a happy life. Now, often we we say we use the word happiness as a feeling in the moment, right? Oh, I'm happy that I saw my wife or I happy that I'm eating gelato or, you know something like that mm-hmm. but clearly that's not what we're talking about when at, at the level of life happiness you know you wouldn't want a life that is just one gelato after another right for one thing because you get um, serious well, the, the attachment to,
0: to pleasures and trying yeah. to avoid the pains of life
1: right so so some pleasure in life is definitely Uh, you know important Uh, you know I'm not suggesting that we should go through life without pleasure but a life that is made only of one little pleasure after another it's uh, there's pretty good evidence in psychology that it's not a fulfilling life That's impossible isn't it right well it's yeah because you have you have pleasures
0: but then you seek more pleasures and it's a constant chase
1: Correct. You 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 set yourself up for failure in that in that sense. Mm. But even if it were possible, it's like okay, but what am I doing here? Is, yeah. I mean, just going to you know, is there any any broader is Any any anything you know more meaningful that I'm doing? And so, I define the happy life as a meaningful life, as a life that is a project. Uh, the the ancient Greeks and Romans referred to uh, philosophy as the the art of life, the art of living. And so the notion here is that. Uh, a life well lived is a life where you have meaningful things. Hmm. Yes, pleasures for sure. But meaningful things, meaningful things are essentially two kinds of things relationships and projects. A meaningful life is one in which you cultivate your relationships, you know, with your friends, with your loved ones, with your family, and there's a lot of emphasis in stoicism about friendship and, and family. And then you have projects. And those projects, you know, we all have projects. I mean, the projects are can be all sorts of things, like, you know, somebody can do stamp collecting, for instance. That's a project. Uh, somebody wants to become famous and rich. That's another project. Yeah. But it turns out, we have pretty good evidence that the projects that really make a difference in your life, that really are the kind of things you get to your to the end and you look back and say, oh, that was well done. They tend to be projects that involve other people and particularly benefit other people. Yeah. If you do something that is helpful to others, then you're going to be Happy. If you do something, if you have a project that it's simply self-involved, that it just makes yourself happy, yes, you will succeed um, possibly for a little bit. But in the end, it's gonna it's gonna feel empty. And that that's mm. uh, a lot of what the book is about. It's like it, trying to make this distinction between happiness, as in you know meaningless sequence sequence of pleasures or things that happen, and happiness as a meaningful life that you get to the end of it and you look back and you say, yeah. That was, that was pretty well done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And I think it's a, it's a constant search and trying to figure that out. Uh, certainly a journey that I think we're all on, but I certainly have been on and finding, you know, what, what is meaningful to me and how can I adjust myself right now to find more meaning and, uh, perhaps it's those projects that have a a greater impact externally rather than always self-focused.
1: Exactly. Hmm. Exactly.
0: I love it. Thank you for coming on the show again.
1: Uh, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: We spoke um, for the listeners out there back in March, I think it was, um, and we discussed your earlier book, How to Be a Stoic. Yes. Which is a good conversation too. So I'll stick this sh- uh, the links in the show notes for that. Guys, check it out at thehiddenwide.com. Massimo, thanks once again. And until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me, connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there. And also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there. Um, and anything else really that you like to purchase through amazon so use that link it helps support the show and we've also got a deal with audible guys audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books we've got to deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or yeah subscribe to a 30-day free trial so check that out again at thehiddenwire.com guys that's it from me you know what to do go out there breathe more passion into every single moment do everything with greater purpose And in doing so, you will discover your hidden why. This is The Hidden Why. My name is Lee Manuzzi. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon.